0: to Philippians chapter 4. We're looking at two verses today, verses 8 and 9. Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. If you would, please stand if you're able in honor of the reading of God's holy word. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Pray with me, please. Father, this is your word. It is true in everything that it says and teaches, the only rule for faith and practice, because you, God, are perfect, and you wrote this word. It's exactly what you wanted us to hear. Father, implant this word into our minds and our hearts, May we see you more clearly and understand what, you're, what you are teaching us today. If there's one here who doesn't know Jesus, draw that one savingly to yourself. And for Christians here today, may we see how we should think, how we should act. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Please be seated. As I was preparing to preach this sermon to you today, a thought crossed my mind, and I wanted to share this thought with you before we even start into this sermon. It's that everything that the Bible talks about and teaches us today, everything about it, it's going to go against what the world is going to tell you. It's going to go against the, the latest philosophies of the world. The latest fads of the world, and and teenagers, I'll go ahead and tell you it's gonna go against what other teenagers are gonna tell you what's what is actually cool. But as we read and study God's word, we're gonna find out something. That's not a bad thing. Because as we study God's word, we find out so much about what He says about the philosophies of the world. Let me give you a few of those. In 1 John. John teaches us not to love the world or the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him is what John says. In James, James says, if you love the world, you're at enmity with God. In Galatians, Paul says this, if I tried to please man and if I tried to please God, I can't do that. I can't be a man pleaser and a God pleaser. So when we hear those things from Scripture, we understand that that contrasting the philosophies of the world, that's not a bad thing. That's actually a good thing. Well, so you might be asking, Adam, well, what is it then? What, what is this topic? What is Paul talking about today that's going to clash with the world's philosophies? Well, the topic is simply this. It's one of thinking. And not just thinking, but how to think, and what to think about. This text teaches us that proper thinking is not optional for the Christian. Look at the end of verse 8, the last four words of verse 8. There's a command there. Do you see it? Think about these things. That the Bible is coming to all of us today as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And scripture is teaching us how to think and what to think about. And there's a command, think about these things. Beloved, we're talking about the spiritual discipline of the mind. There's a word picture behind this phrase, think about. It's that of evaluating. It's that of considering and and calculating. It's a spiritual discipline of the mind because we learn as we read the pages of scripture, specifically Proverbs, we learn that our lives are a product of our thoughts. And we're going to learn even later in this text that whatever we put into our minds, it's going to come out somewhere in our lives. Therefore God teaches us today how to think and what to think about. He says, "Think on these things." And what I want you to see and know is that this command, this verse 8 especially, it's in such sharp contrast to what the world and the philosophies of the world are going to tell you. And here's what I mean by that. You see, instead of asking the, the world doesn't ask the question, "Is it true?" Doesn't ask that question anymore. It comes up with different philosophies, different methodologies. One of them is this emotionalism. Instead of saying what is true, it's going to say, "How do you feel about that?" One of them's pragmatism. It's not going to ask what is true. It's going to say, "Does it work?" If it works, do it. Another one is postmodernism, which is going to not even bother with truth at all. Truth doesn't even exist. It's going to say, does it work for me? How does it make you feel? Does it work? Does it work for me? This is the philosophy of the world. And in the face of that, Scripture comes to us today, and it teaches us how to think. And it teaches us how to think in a godly way. And the Bible says our thinking, it needs to be governed by the Holy Spirit of God. A God who himself is truth. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth. And God reveals to us today objective, clear truth. And that truth is found in the pages of Scripture. Our first point today, I want you to see this. What is godly thinking? Verse 8 answers this question. What is godly thinking look back with me at verse 8 if you would paul says finally brothers whatever is true whatever is honorable whatever is just whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is commendable if there is any excellence if there is anything worthy of praise think about these Things. Let's walk through this verse, word by word, phrase by phrase. What is godly thinking? The first, think, the first answer to that is whatever is true. Whatever is true. What is truth? I'm not the first person to ask that question, am I? Philosophers all over the ages have asked that question, and who asked it in the Bible? Pilate did. He said, what is truth? And when he asked that question, he didn't even realize that standing right in front of him was the way, the truth, and the life. It was right in front of him, but he didn't even know it. Well, how are we supposed to know truth? I will tell you that the only way we can know truth is that if truth is revealed to us by the truth giver, the one who knows everything about everything. When the God of truth, the truth giver, reveals truth to us, we can know truth. And the good news, beloved, for you and for me today is this, God's done that. The truth giver has imparted to you and to me inerrant and infallible truth. It's right here in the Word of God. You see, one of the most important things for us as Christians to know and to have is a proper theology and doctrine about God's word because it is truth in a world that is filled with lies here's what the bible says about itself it says to us in second timothy that all scripture is what God breathed flowing out of the lungs of God it's useful for teaching rebuking correcting and training in righteousness it's exactly what God wanted you to hear God is speaking to us clearly through the word of God. We know the verse in Isaiah chapter 40, the grass will wither, the flowers will fall, but the word of God will stand forever. Peter reminds us in 2 Peter 1.21 that even the prophets, when they spoke and when they wrote, that that didn't originate in that prophet himself. It originated in God. And God used these men. He carried them along by his Holy Spirit to give us The perfect word of God. Jesus, even in John 17, says, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Psalm 19 says that the judgments of the Lord are true. Psalm 119 says the commandments of the Lord are truth. When Paul talks about the armor of God in Ephesians 6, He says that Christians need to gird their loins with what? The belt of truth. Truth is characteristic of God. And I'll tell you this, that God is the best witness concerning himself. Think about that. If you want to know about God, what's the best way for you to know that truth? It's for God himself to reveal that truth to you. God is the best witness concerning himself. One commentator said it this way, by God alone can God be known. That's the doctrine of scripture right there. God is teaching us objective, concrete truth in his word. What better source could we have in order to find out truth about God than to hear from God himself through his word? This is the biblical way to find truth. Now, again, this world disagrees with us, doesn't it? Emotionalism says, no, truth is if you feel good or not. Pragmatism, it says truth is is what works. Postmodernism says, we're not even going to talk about truth. It's whatever's best for you. That's what the world says. And in the face of all of that, God says, no, If you're asking what truth is, ask, is it according to my word? Is it according to Scripture? The word of God is the only infallible rule for faith and life. So we're thinking about thinking, right? We're talking about thinking. (laughs) If you're asking the question, are my thoughts true? The question is, are my thoughts in line with the truth of God's word? That's true thinking. Now, you're going to find a theme here in this sermon that so many of these points are going to come back to teach us about the importance of Scripture, the doctrine of the Word of God, because truth is found only in the Word of God. So many of these other things, is going to point you to the same place. But the first point is thinking that is true. What's the second phrase in in the verse? Whatever is Honorable. The word picture behind honorable is that which is dignified, respectable, and noble. So if you're asking the question, What is honorable or my thoughts honorable? really ask the question, Are my thoughts considered respectable to God? Again, the problem comes is that we we live in this fallen world, and and this world has taken respectable thoughts that God would give you and has turned it upside down, flipped it on its head. And it now says that respectable things in God's eyes are actually not respectable at all. One of the clearest places it does that is in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, the apostle Paul is teaching us about man's depravity. And he talks about that, that God allowed men to, to go their own way. They had no conscience, if you will. They did what was right in their own eyes. And they did horrible, horrible things. And when they got to the end of that, here's what Romans one thirty two says. It says, although they knew God's righteous decree and that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things but also approve of those who practice them. Does that not describe our society today? Taking what God has called respectable, flipped it on its head, and now what the world calls respectable, which is actually a disgrace in God's sight, this world approves of those things and puts them on display. One commentator said it this way, the. This is the most extreme form of wickedness. When a sinner's most wretched conduct before God is the highest point of self-exaltation. But what's interesting about Philippians is that Paul, he'd already run into this problem. Do you remember it? It was one chapter ago. If you have your Bibles in your hand, just turn one page back and look at chapter 3, verse 19. Paul was talking about sensuality. Chapter 3, verse 19 says this about those who were sensual. It says, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Where were their minds? Where were their thoughts? On earthly things. And when that happened, they gloried in their shame. They rejoiced in that which was not noble. They exalted that which was disrespectful to God, and they approved of it in their lives. But God now is coming to Christians, and he's saying, look, I've got something better for you. I've got something greater for you to think about. That's not what I have for you, that that sensuality. My thinking will be noble Honorable, respectful, and it will be respectful according to my holy word. So if you're asking the question today, are my thoughts honorable, ask the question, are my thoughts respectable, not not to the world, but to God? Thirdly, the Bible says whatever is just this is talking about right and wrong. Is there such thing as right and wrong? The postmodernist wants to blur that. There's no distinctions. There's no such thing as right or wrong. It's only what makes you feel good. It's only what works for you. That's what's right. Right? But Scripture, as you know, comes to us and says, yes, there is such thing as right and wrong, just and unjust, good and evil. Yes, there is objective truth, and that truth is determined by God. Where would you find in the Bible what is right and what is wrong? I give you the Ten Commandments, God's moral law. He declares to us, his people, that which is morally right and morally wrong. God's law is there for us as Christians here today to be a guide for us to live the Christian life, that we are to seek what's right and what's wrong in his sight and not the sight of the world. Listen to Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. It says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of scoffers, But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Do you see how the Bible talks about godly thinking? The Christian meditates mentally on the law of God day and night. Why? So he can think those things that are just. You see, again, this text points you Back to Scripture. Because as we are called to meditate on God's law, we're also called to memorize it, to hide it in our hearts. David said, I've hidden your word in my heart, God, that I might not sin against you. If you want to know what's right and wrong, get into God's word. Hide it in your heart so that you can think on those things. So whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, the next one is this, whatever is pure. The word picture behind purity is that which is clean, undefiled, something that's kept from sin. So if you're wondering if your thoughts are pure, ask this question, are my thoughts being kept from sin? We all know that sin so easily Entangles us, but not only that, in this world, we're encouraged to indulge in it, aren't we? Moses was encouraged to indulge in, this, in the sin for a season, in the pleasures of sin for a season, is what Hebrews said. But he didn't do it. We have enemies. We learned them last week, the world, the flesh, the devil. They want us to let ourselves go throw ourselves out there for the pleasures of sin for a season, but we see the end from the beginning. If we're wise in the Scriptures, we see that that will only destroy our our minds, our hearts, our souls, even in a place called hell. But God desires that we remain pure. Why? Because He's pure. The book of Leviticus, maybe one of the toughest books in the Bible to read and, and, and stay in tune with it, a lot of people start that year-long Bible reading. They get through Genesis. They get to Leviticus. Like, oh, this is hard. You say, what's the point of all of this stuff in Leviticus? Let me summarize it in one sentence. You ready? Be holy because God's holy. That's the point of Leviticus. Peter picks it up in the New Testament, repeats it. Be holy because I'm holy. Now I'm your pastor, and I'm going to stand here, and I'm going to proclaim God's word to you. I'm going to proclaim to you, think, pure thoughts. But is that the ultimate reason you should do that? No. The reason you should be holy is because your God is holy. The reason you should desire to have pure thoughts is because your God is pure. And he is your creator. And as his image bearer. As the one who's being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, he is molding and shaping all of us to be holy. Why? Because he's holy. He is holy. That is the answer to the question. So if you're wondering, are my thoughts pure, you're asking the question, are my thoughts being kept from sin? Is it being holy in God's sight? These last two, lovely and commendable. Let's look at them together because the Bible says this. If they're, It says, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. The word picture behind lovely is that which is admirable, pleasing, something that evokes love. The word picture behind commendable is that which is highly regarded, well thought of something that is appealing, but again, not appealing to the world, not well thought of by the world, but well thought of by God. These are topics, beloved, that this world will not teach you. So at this point, I ask everybody to step back with me and let's see something about lordship. Because this text, it doesn't have the word lord in it, but it's talking about the lordship of Jesus Christ. Because right now, you're going to have a philosophy of the world, whether it's emotionalism, pragmatism, postmodernism, or some of the nonsense. And you're going to have that which the Bible teaches you. And you're going to be persuaded and, and pushed and pulled by this over here. But God is calling you to live under his lordship, to be under his rule and reign. So we step back and ask the question, who sits on the throne of our hearts? Who is Lord of our lives. Because if we go make a list of what's lovely and what's commendable based on the world, we're going to get a list, aren't we? But if we go make a list about what's lovely and commendable to the holy God, we're going to get a completely different list. And God is calling all of us as his people to understand that it's his way, that we need to Be submit to the Lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ, follow hard after him, because he is telling us what is best for us anyway. He knows this world will only bring us down, will only be bad for us. And it teaches us to really start seeing the ends from the beginning. Because I will tell you, and teenagers, listen up here. The world is gonna look like a a great place the way of the world is going to be going to seem like the cool way to go, the fun way to go. Everybody's doing it. but God has called you to swim upstream because wide is this gate and narrow is this gate. And he has called you to swim upstream, following hard after Christ, having your affections not on the world but on the things of God. And this, beloved, is biblical truth. If you're asking the question, what is lovely? What is admirable? You're asking, are my thoughts pleasing to God? Are they highly regarded by God? He's taught us how to think what is true, honorable just, lovely, commendable. Now he summarizes. You see it in the Bible. You see it at the end of verse 8. He says, if there is anything excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, what's the command? Think about these things. We see godly thinking. It's not an option. It's a command. It's an imperative in the text. Think about these things, but he's not done. He's got one more point to tell us. And that point is found in verse 9. Look at it. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Here it is. You ready? Practice these things. Practice these things. You see, in his final point, Paul moves from our thoughts to our actions. True believers Not only think godly things, but we act upon what we know to be true, honorable, just, respectable. You see the shift in verse 8 from thinking to verse 9 to practicing. It is not enough for us to just think about God, think about godly things. It reminds us of what James says, right? James says, don't just be hearers of the word, be doers of the word, lest you deceive yourself. And Paul says in this text, let me be an example of that. Did you see that? Look at verse 9. He says, look at my life. He says, you've learned things from me. You've seen things from me. You've heard things from me. You've received things from me. In other words, Paul wasn't one just to talk the talk without walking the walk. He's actually reminding us what Daryl taught us a few weeks ago. He's saying, follow me as I follow Jesus by practicing these things. So let's talk about where the rubber hits the road, shall we? Where does this hit real life? Let's go through them one by one. How are we to practice truth? In our lives, if we're to think about what is true, how do you practice truth? Well, the first thing is get falsehood out of it. Put away lying in your own life. Get away from influences that are going to encourage you to lie. Get away from influences that are going to teach you things that are not true about God and this world. The Proverbs are very clear. We're to avoid sin. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, who stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of mockers, but his delight, it's over here in the law of the Lord, that you've got to make a decision. Gird your loins with truth, the Bible says. Number two, how do we practice being honorable? That means getting perversion out of your life. Getting sensuality, back in chapter 3, verse 19, getting sensuality out of your life. It might mean that you need to sit down and make a list of godly standards. This is what I'm going to do, and this is what I am not going to do. In other words, you make a decision before something happens. Did you hear that, teenagers? You make a decision before something happens because if you wait for sensuality to come into your life and you're put under a pressured situation, you're probably not going to make the right decision. So go ahead and make it now. Get in the word. Learn what's honoring to God. Practice those things. Number three, how do we be just in practice? Again, justice is talking about right and wrong. So I encourage you, memorize Scripture, specifically the Ten Commandments. Study them. Be able to recall them so you can know what God says is right and what's wrong. Hide God's Word in your heart. The law of God should be a guide to your Christian living. Dedicate yourself to the Bible so that you can know what's right and what's wrong, what's just and what's unjust. Fourthly, how do you practice purity? Here we go. Are you ready? How do you practice purity? This world wants you to indulge in impurity. It wants you to indulge in the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. I don't often talk about Christian movies, but I'm going to today. Has anyone seen the movie Fireproof? Fireproof. Kirk Cameron. You remember him from the 1980s, don't you? Kirk Cameron stars in Fireproof. A lot of that acting in that movie is so bad, it's hilarious. (laughs) But I love that movie for two main reasons. It says number talks about a husband and a wife. The two main points of that movie is you need Jesus for a successful marriage, and you also need to forgive each other. It's the two main points of that movie. But let me, if you haven't seen that movie, let me let me tell you the context, and I'm going to talk about one point in that movie. You have a man and a woman. Uh, Kirk Cameron's the man they they they're married but they're not Christians and they're headed for divorce and each one of them is pretty selfish but Kirk Cameron's dad was a Christian he challenged his son to to this love dare and it got him involved in in doing things for the interest of his wife and he didn't want to do it at the beginning he was reluctant to do any of it and in the middle of that movie his father comes and shares the gospel with him about Jesus and God gets a hold of his life and And Kirk Cameron becomes a Christian. And one of the things that he had struggled with before he had become a believer was sitting in front of that computer and looking at immorality and looking at impurity. But now he had come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior, but he found himself sitting in his home by himself in front of the computer doing his work. And what happens? Something pops up on the computer. Click this image. You can see all the impurity you want. And there was a moment there in that movie where he had to make a decision. He had to make a decision where he was going to follow the world or follow Christ. Who sat on the throne of his heart? Did the world sit on the throne or did Christ sit on his throne? And my favorite moment of the entire movie is what does he do? He picks up that computer, doesn't he? He walks outside next to his garage, and he gets a baseball bat, and he starts beating that computer over and over and over, crushing it into small pieces. Why? Because he had decided to love God more than the things of the world. He had decided that he was going to love his wife instead of loving the images on that computer. He had decided that Jesus Christ was his Lord And he was called to purity in his life. And he did whatever he had to do to make that possible. It reminds us of texts that Jesus would say, if your hand causes you to sin, Jesus says, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, Jesus says, pluck it out. In other words, if there is anything, anything coming between you and my relationship with you, between you and God, or in this case, between you and your wife, pluck it out. Get rid of it, destroy it, because Jesus is your Lord. What a vivid illustration that was. I'm not telling you to go home and get your computer and bash it, but what I am telling you is this. We should not love the things of the world more than the things of God. We should do what's pure in his sight. Godly thinking leads to godly action. And then finally, what's lovely and commendable, We've talked all about this, the lordship of Christ, that he must reign in our hearts, understanding that what we put in our minds is going to come out in our lives. Who sits on the throne of your heart? As we close today, I want you to see the last phrase of verse 9. It's Paul's conclusion. He says this, And the God of peace will be with you. You notice the last two sermons have ended in peace. Last week it was anxiety, prayer, the peace of God passes all understanding, right? we Will guard your heart and mind. Today we have godly thinking, godly action, and now the God of peace will dwell with you. Isn't it amazing that God doesn't just give you his peace, but he actually dwells with you? That he is Emmanuel. He's right there with you as you walk through this life. So if you're struggling with these things, call out to him. He's right there with you. And ask these questions of yourself even today. What are you thinking about? What's on your mind? Is it things that are true, commendable, honorable? just, pure, and lovely? Are you putting the right things in your mind? Are you keeping the wrong things out of your mind? And then are you putting that into practice? I'll leave you with one verse. It's the last verse of Psalm 19. And it's a verse I encourage every one of you to pray at the beginning of every day. If you're driving to work, moms and dads, if you're driving your kids to school, talk to them about this as they're sitting in the back seat. Psalm 1914, because in that one verse, it does talk about our actions and our thoughts. Here's what it says. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart Be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. May the meditation of my heart, the things I ponder mentally and and hold to emotionally, may the words of my mouth, what I say to others, may it be acceptable and pleasing in thy sight, not the world's sight, in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, what a challenge this text is because as we contemplate this we find that Lord, we oftentimes allow ungodly thinking to dominate our our thoughts and that leads to ungodly action. Yet you have taught us that our minds should be trained and informed by your word. May we really understand the lordship of Christ. You don't only want to rule our actions, you want to rule our thoughts. And you do that because we belong to you. We're not our own, we're bought with a price. Let us glorify you in our bodies, in our thoughts, because they're yours. Help us today, oh God, even to be obedient to all of your commands, especially your thinking. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.